Ready to start your ESG journey? Get going today with Social Suite, and you could start reporting publicly in 30 days. With investor pressure mounting and regulations just around the corner, there's never been a better time to start your ESG reporting. Social Suite takes the complexity out of environmental, social, and governance reporting. Social Suite helps organizations to measure, monitor, and report on their progress with fast, simple, and affordable software. Create value through ESG in order to raise capital, improve brand and reputation, as well as mitigate risk. Social Suite has helped almost 100 micro to small cap companies report on ESG, with some starting their baseline report in under 60 minutes and reporting publicly within 30 days. ESG is a lot easier than you think, and you're probably already doing it. So take your sustainability reporting to the next level with measurable progress. Start your ESG journey today with Social Suite, an ESG software company for micro to small caps. Visit socialsuitehq.com. That's social, S-U-I-T-E-H-Q.com to learn more. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not provided as financial, legal, or any other advice. The information is not investment advice or an offer to buy or sell any securities or make any investment. The views expressed by guest speakers are their own and any reference to third-party products, services, or information does not constitute an endorsement thereof by SNN or its affiliates. SNN expressly disclaims all liability for any individual's use of the information presented in this podcast. My guests on the show today are Jerry Jacobs, CEO, and Nick Warrender, COO of LFTD Partners, Inc., a publicly traded company. The symbol is LIFD on the OTCQB. LFTD Partners, Inc., based in Jacksonville, Florida, is the parent corporation of Lifted Made, based in Kenosha, Wisconsin, which manufactures and sells hemp-derived and psychoactive products under its herb Finest Flowers, and Silly Shroom Brands. LFTD Partners, Inc. also owns 4.99% of CBD-infused beverage and products maker Ablis Holding Company and of Craft Distillers Ben's Distillery, Inc., uh, also uh, doing business as Crater Lake Spirits and Ben Spirits, Inc., all located in Bend, Oregon. I was made aware of LFTD Partners by Scott Weiss from Semco Capital, and after doing a quick dive into the company, I invited them on to better understand how LFTD has gotten to where they are today. Now, you may hear me gush a little bit in this interview. That's not a recommendation, nor do I own any shares in LFTD Partners, but I've been interviewing cannabis companies now for eight to nine plus years. I was right there at the beginning interviewing psychedelics companies and have chatted with countless investors and experts that are active in the space. The majority of the companies, I would argue, and in my opinion, have or will fail in building a business in cannabis or psychedelics, especially in this nuclear winter negative sentiment environment for the space. And so when I come across a company like LFTD, I want to share a story that for all intents and purposes, is not just surviving, but also thriving. That's not to say there hasn't been bumps in the road, which we discuss, as well as Lifted Maid's brands, Silly Shroom and Herb Finest Flowers, managing regulatory risks, building out their distribution and sales networks, importance of brand IP, and running a psychedelics and or cannabis company through the current nuclear winter negative sentiment in the space. 
So with that, please enjoy my conversation with Jerry Jacobs and Nick Warrender from LFTD Partners, Inc. Gentlemen, thank you for joining me today. How are you guys doing? Great. Thanks, Bobby. Doing great. Awesome. No, I'm, I'm stoked to have you guys on here. You know, uh, I've done some of, I kind of joked around with you guys offline. I'm like, you know, I've done some of the, the psychedelics hemp 101 type podcasts over the years now, you know, but the reason that it was really interesting that to have you guys on the show is I think you're, to my knowledge, the first profitable psychedelics company that I've interviewed <laughs> um, in this space. So one, congratulations just on that front. And secondly, I wanted to find out how you got there. So to start us off, you know, Jerry, I'm going to throw this question at you first. You know, what would you say is that one line that best describes LFTD partners? Yeah, I mean, in one sentence, I'd say LFTD Partners, Inc. uh, has a wholly owned subsidiary, Lifted Made, uh, that is a profitable manufacturer and distributor of Silly Shroom brand psychedelic gummies and Herb Cocoa Puffs and Cocoa Gummies brand hemp-derived cannabinoid-infused vapes, gummies, caviar flowers, and chocolates. You know, I can't, not to play around with you guys too much here, but I mean, you guys became a profitable company with a brand called Silly Shrooms. I mean, like that we got to we got to dig deeper. So, you know, uh, Jerry, Jerry, real quick, coming back to you first. And then, Nick, I want to get your perspective as well. You know, I want to take a look back at the LFDD partners history. You know, when was the company founded and what was the original thesis for its founding? Well, this public company was actually uh, founded, uh, incorporated in 1986, long, long before I ever got involved. Uh, it went through just some different iterations. It was an oil and gas company. It was involved in other businesses. Uh, but uh, eventually the folks, they rolled up, you know, shut down those businesses. Eventually they contacted me and asked me to take control of the business, uh, which I did. And uh you know, I've been involved as the CEO uh, of uh, several public companies, including a company called Metal Management that I built into the biggest uh, scrap metal recycler in North America. We took it from nothing to $900 million in sales, and our stock did extremely well. Uh, and a second company, an internet marketing company, Think Partnership, that I uh, took from nothing to about $90 million in sales. Again, the stock did very well. But uh, with this public company, uh, you know, I was really looking for an opportunity to steer it towards a business that we really think would uh, have uh, significant growth. Uh, and then I felt that uh, uh, there would be an opportunity for uh, consolidation opportunities uh, or roll-up opportunities, whatever you want to call it. And, uh, you know, we spent a lot of time, to make a long story short, we spent a lot of time looking at the marijuana industry and looking at the CBD industry, couldn't really find the right uh, player to be our partner kind of as an anchor tenant. Uh, it takes a very uh, unusual combination of uh, entrepreneurial skills and talents as business skills, intelligence uh, to launch a business like this and to really emerge out of the hundreds of companies in the space. And, you know, we had the good fortune to finally in 19, uh, 2018 to meet Nick Warner who's with us here. And, uh, you know, frankly, after spending about two or three hours with Nick, I, you know, looked at my uh, president uh, and said, we've finally found the right uh, partner for this space, which is 
uh, Nick and his company Lifted made that he'll tell you about. But, uh, you know, we, from a 30,000 foot level, we concluded that we didn't really want to get involved in growing marijuana or growing hemp. We felt that both of them were just simply commodities, not that difficult to grow, and that there would be tremendous surge in supply, which would crush uh, crush the pricing, which has happened in both marijuana and hemp. But we really came to the conclusion that, uh, you know, uh, consumer products that were, uh, you know, attractively branded and packaged and that really worked uh, could be very sticky with consumers and we felt that uh, also the principal ingredient for the on the on the cannabinoid side of the house, the principal ingredient, we thought that as more and more hemp was uh, planted in the country, that the price of the principal ingredient to these products, CBD isolate, CBD distillate, would go down, which it has. Which so we felt that you know, unlike most of the companies in the cannabis space that have been terribly, uh, you know, hurt over the last couple of years by oversupply of marijuana and hemp. Uh, for us, if we steered ourselves into the consumer product space where, where CBD isolate, CBD distillate was the principal ingredient that the margins would actually increase or at least stay robust. And notwithstanding the fact that more and more hemp was being grown. So we had the good fortune to meet Nick, uh, just Totally coincidentally at the time, uh, you know, I was living in Lake Forest, Illinois, just north of Chicago, and Nick's company was, you know, literally 20 minutes, 20 minutes away in Zion, Illinois. And after meeting Nick, I said, we finally found the right partner for our uh, company. Very good. Thank you for that full overview there, Jerry. So Nick, coming to you, you know, you just heard Jerry's opening there and some of the thesis for LFTD partners. You know, when you first met Jerry, I mean, were did you have a similar thought process of like, you know, I would love to go into, you know, this type of structure in order to grow out the lifted made brand? What was your thought process there? Sure. So I think part of it comes back to our history. Uh, you know, I started this company very small, 900 bucks, 10 by 10 room um, from a personal need standpoint. So I was introduced to CBD. I was having some health issues. Um, it was really expensive. It was really hard to find. And, you know, it really helped me personally. And I knew this is something that I think can help a lot of people. And that's been our foundational standpoint from the get-go. And as we were starting to grow, um, you know, this is four years later, being introduced to Jerry, uh, his son, who's our CFO, I really felt, you know, to get this to the next level, it's going to take a team. And to really get through these type of markets a public company vehicle and, and legitimizing yourself, showing transparency and having the ability to consolidate um, needs to happen. You know, it, it's just, it's something that is inevitably going to happen. So when that opportunity came, you know, something that I jumped on top of because uh, I'm a team player. I, I grew up playing basketball and, you know, nice. you're good at your position, but you know that you need, you know, the big man in the post and you need a shooting guard on the wing. So, um, it was a natural fit. It was great uh, chemistry right out of the gate. And, you know, we came to the table and said, look, we're, we're both small, but together, I think we can make something huge here. And, you know, we're, we're doing that. So it's it's been um, an awesome journey. It's put us in a position where we've had to be profitable because we started so small and we're a real consumer ran business, which is a huge advantage in these industries. Um, 
you know, you have big executives that come from, from different industries and, and they try to put all their strategies in place. But um, when you really start with consumer driven products, products that you actually use for yourself, uh, I think people resonate with that. And, you know, the proof is in the numbers. So it's, it's really uh, translated over these years to say, you know, this is what we're making for ourselves. And we hope that you guys enjoy these products too. Absolutely. I really appreciate that. Before we get into the products themselves, because I want to understand how they're they're differentiated, maybe from some other, you know, as you guys said earlier, the hundreds of companies that have been also trying to be in and survive this market. You know, one thing you said that I really appreciate is that you wanted to be in a public vehicle in order to you know, almost for your own checks and balances to stay transparent with your consumer audience. That's an interesting thought process that I don't think a lot of people think about. If you want to yeah. speak to that real quick, Nick, I just yeah. I, I thought and that I, was interesting. I appreciate that sentiment because it's it's an industry that is self-regulated, right? Yep. We don't have regulations, and we've we've always held ourselves to a higher standard: um, testing, chain of custodies, traceability. Um, and we wanted to take that a step further and say, like, we'll even put our numbers out there, right? Like whatever we can do to legitimize ourselves and let people know that we're not fly by night. This isn't a big money grab for us. Uh, we're here to pioneer an industry and it's difficult, right? So it's, uh, I think our, our chemistry, uh, down to like our DNA, right. Is, is we're here for the right reasons. And when you do that, good things happen. You know, I'm a firm believer in that. So we've tried to, we're, we're old school Midwest guys. Um, we want to put the work in and this isn't for all the flair and, and, and the awards, but it's, it's, it's a journey to help people. It's a journey to, to pioneer an industry. And I think it, it's a huge opportunity and we take that extremely seriously. Very cool. All right. So let's dig into the products themselves. You know, um, real quick, Jerry, I'm going to go right back to Nick for this one. Um, you know, tell us about the, a little bit about um, silly, silly Shroom as well as uh, Herb Finest Flowers. Yeah. So Herb is our main flagship brand. And that's been a vehicle for innovation in the hemp space, right? So we've, because we're consumers, we've always prided ourselves in finding what's the next thing, like what's kind of the next hack for the hemp plant. Uh, we were e early in CBD, CBG, CBN. Uh, Pre-pandemic, we started doing due diligence on Delta-8 THC. Uh, that was a compound that I was extremely interested in. It was something that um, I felt was really going to be a game changer. And when we got the green light, you know, we were one of the first to markets with with that product. And it, it did. It, it really saved the hemp industry. Um, we were the first company that did a compliant Delta 9 product, um, a live resin product using hydro extraction, car hydrocarbon extractions, things that you see in the medical marijuana space that hadn't translated over to hemp. So, you know, we've we've put our blinders on and really just focused on, you know, where do we see the industry headed rather than kind of chasing where you know, the trend is, right? So um, segmenting that into Silly Shroom, it was really the same concept. I was super interested in the functional mushroom category. There wasn't a lot of products available, especially in our distribution channels. So, you know, we looked at uh, Reishi and Chaga and Lion's Mane and Ashwagandha and Kava and Kana and all these other compounds inside and outside of mushrooms, but kind of that run parallel to say, okay, you know, cannabinoids are amazing, but I think there's other effects that we can dial in, other formulations we can dial in that 
you know, people would want to use throughout the day at night, um, really to kind of buy it's biohacking to a degree, right? Like how do I get the most out of my day? Um, how do I feel the best that I possibly can? How do I stay sharp and, and gain clarity? Um, so, you know, we, we launched that brand knowing that psychedelics, knowing that mushrooms are going to be a huge topic. Um, how do we get product into the market and start to get the consumer trust, right? So through that process, we were back to doing due diligence on a mushroom called Amanita muscaria. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. It's starting to, to get big nope. now, but it's the little mushroom from Mario Brothers, you know, the little red one with the white dots. Um, so we've <laughs> good, known good, about this. Good, mushroom, good timing so, with the movie coming out, right? Yeah, we've known about this <laughs> for a long time. And there's there's crazy history behind that. Um people drinking reindeer piss, you know, because it decarbed this mushroom that was toxic, but um, when it's decarboxylated, it has amazing effects. So uh, incredible history was something that never went mainstream at all, never really made it to the consumer markets. And it took us a year to get that product to market. Um, We launched that in the fourth quarter and the consumer demand was incredible, you know, and it's because we've built trust within our brand and our company that we're going to put out good products. We're going to do our due diligence. We're not just going to rush to market um, with the money grab type mentality. And we use these products, you know, so uh, they're super, super exciting. Some of these compounds that um, are currently identifiable, like muscomol, um, there's a lot of research that's being done on them. There's research that goes back to the sixties and the seventies on it. And uh, it's groundbreaking, you know, in a lot of cases, I think people like these more than psilocybin microdosing. So Interesting. Um, now we're we're seeing other peaks that are unidentified compounds and starting to look at what the effects of those are. So there's a lot to continue to roll out uh, in the mushroom category, and we're super excited about it. Uh, but it does come down to um, branding. It comes down to that consumer um, confidence and that's why we we really decided to, to get in early is to start building that. Absolutely. Have a bunch more questions to follow down that line of thinking. But one real quick, coming back to Jerry, you know, how did you get there? You know, you mentioned how you got to this point where you have this, you know, you have this customer more or less retention, you know, and 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 loyalty. You know, how did you get to that point? Because again, there's so many different compounds and formulations and different types of, you know, branded consumer products out there that have, you know, one, you know, whether it's CBD, cannabinoid, mushrooms, something like that. So how did you break through in that sense? Well, I'm not going to take uh, credit uh, for the spectacular success of the lifted products that really I have to give full credit to Nick and, and his team. Uh, but, you know, I approached uh, looking at these products, uh, looking at this industry and looking at product companies within the industry, almost the way that, you know, an analyst on Wall Street would look at them, which is, uh, you know, prioritizing characteristics and searching, then searching for companies that have those characteristics. And, you know, in a new and emerging industry, you know, I felt that, uh, one of the principal characteristics was just simply didn't really matter whether Jerry Jacobs felt that the products were uh, attractive. It was uh, how did they 
how did consumers react to them and how sticky was it with consumers? And, you know, if uh, it's like they say, if 10,000 coyotes uh, feel this way, how, you know, you're probably right. But, uh, you know, I spoke with, you know, networking people within the industry who had, you know, had been going to these trade shows, marijuana and CBD trade shows all over the country and seeing hundreds of companies and, you know, piggybacked on due diligence that friends of mine had that had really spent that time and had identified a number of companies that they felt really had that elixir, that combination of very, very uh, well received by consumers, uh, stickiness, uh, that were also, you know, attractively branded and packaged, uh, priced uh, appropriately. And then, you know, from our own due diligence standpoint, uh, you know, super important to have people involved uh, that can function as part of a legitimate publicly traded company. I mean, uh, there are just, in my opinion, a lot of people associated with marijuana and uh, uh, hemp that, uh, you know, I'm not sure that, uh, many of them really have the uh, mentality and background uh, to uh, be part of, uh, you know, the industry leader. And it's a combination of integrity. It's a combination of commitment to be conservative, uh, to uh, have legitimate uh, financials uh, and uh, forward thinking. And then the most difficult thing is layering on top of it, uh, even if you find somebody with that uh, set of characteristics, which is very difficult, on top of that, uh, having a, a leader of the organization who really is committed to profitability, because we weren't approaching this from a private equity standpoint where we were going to throw $50 million into lift it. It was you know, pretty much uh, we'll put a certain amount in and then we have to swim, not not sink. You know, was, uh, and of course, the acid test for Nick Warner and lifted was that literally about two weeks after we closed our merger, uh, the pandemic hit. And, uh, you know, my family, my father was a Commodore of a yacht club in Wisconsin when I was growing up and everybody in my family, I come from a very large family, 13 kids. We all raced sailboats uh, growing up and I still race sailboats. But, uh, you know, what I learned racing sailboats was that anybody can be a good skipper when it's a blue sky and little white clouds. Uh, you're going to find out whether your skipper is any good when it's blowing 35 miles an hour and black clouds are coming in on the lake. And that's what I felt was going to happen with the pandemic. I looked at my uh, president and CFO is my oldest son, William, we call him Jake. And I said, Jake, we're going to find out exactly how good a skipper Nick Warner is because, uh, the world has been turned upside down. And, uh, you know, like anybody else lifted had a few months of difficulty when everything just shut down. The governor of Illinois, uh, came out with an executive order, basically shutting down, uh, I don't know why he allowed marijuana companies to continue in operation, but he, you know, uh, and alcohol companies and not hemp. But, uh, uh, you know, Lifted had a few difficult months, but, you know, starting in July, August 2020, as distribution channels opened up, you know, Lifted just exploded. And I really have to give credit to uh, Nick and his team uh, for not freaking out, not uh, losing it. Uh, 
And having a mentality of we have to play through this and we have to be committed to profitability is everybody listening to this channel that is focused on the uh, cannabis space realizes 99% of the companies in the space are determined to burn as much money as they can. Uh, you know, the burn rate is almost like a badge of honor. Uh, but uh, eventually you have to uh, make uh, profits if you want to stay in business. And God bless uh, Lifted because for the last about nine quarters, uh, they've grown dramatically profitably, uh, profitable for about nine, ten quarters in a row and uh, I mean, just last year they went from 18 million to uh, in 2021 to we haven't announced our 22 numbers, uh, you know, so far they'll be uh, announced in uh, in March. But uh, dramatic growth. Uh, so, uh, you know, we feel like we've got a very unique combination of uh, people and skill sets. For sure, absolutely. I mean, so Nick, coming to you on this same question, I mean. You know, clearly, I mean, getting, you know, Jerry's totally right there, right? You know, this basically launching or really going full bore in the middle of the pandemic. And, and you know, maybe there was a tailwind from the mental health crisis. People are just looking for anything and everything that can maybe potentially help. But in your opinion, what was it that really helped break through and get you to where you're at today in terms of sales? It's that it's that old saying, you know, it takes it takes a decade to be an overnight success story, right? So um it took a lot of years to to break through into distribution. The distribution market is a huge barrier to entry. And it takes a lot of trust and it takes constant knocking. So, you know, I spent like three years studying distribution channels, going into these big, big warehouses couldn't sell to them, but I would, I would still continue to go to see, you know, what's selling, why is it selling, how's it branded, uh, how's it marketed, things of that nature. And what I had found was that there was a huge hole um, from a branding perspective with products that were extremely masculine, right? So when we came out with Herb, we really focused on the feminine aspect of branding, bringing in a lot of pastel colors and a lot of other things. So besides being first to market, which is always a huge jump. Um, it really came down to how we were branding to, to, to separate ourselves from the shelf. Right. So there's only so much shelf space. And if you find your way on it, um, you know, you really need to be able to separate yourself from, from your competitors. So, you know, we, we spent a lot of years building those relationships, studying the market and understanding, you know, where there was a hole and we filled that. And that was a huge, huge reason why, you know, to Jerry's point, we went from a million bucks to five million. We did thirty-one million in twenty twenty-one, and um, have continued to really ramp up. So um, now that we have a, a good foothold as a brand and we have that recognition, I don't want to say it's easier, but it's something that you can continue to build on. But it took a long period of time to finally kind of break through uh, to get that shelf space to build that trust with the distribution channels and the retailers. And, you know, now we're in a position where because that's done, you know, they trust a new launch, right? So we, we launch a new product that goes right into distribution, right into the retailers. Um, so that's, you know, that's a huge advantage. And and trying to get in now, it's it's very difficult to, to take over that shelf space from, you know, scaled brands, brands that have the consumer trust and, and have the awareness 
and uh, and understand you know how to price these products. There's there's a formula, um, and it's it's a rather difficult one to to kind of hit it on all heads. Um, so it's just a lot of years, man. You know, absolutely. No, that 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 is that's what I was looking for. So, uh, you know, in terms of patent, uh, just IP. Like, can you patent protect your formulations? Is that is that doable? Unfortunately, we cannot. Uh, the only thing okay. that we can patent is packaging. Okay. Which is something we're in the process of doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, that's really important IP. Um, so, you know, we focused on childproof packaging. It's not a requirement, but it's something that we feel is important. And the design is is massive. The appeal from the design perspective is huge. Again, separating yourself yourself on the shelf, you come out with a great formula. It's easy for a lot of companies to copy that. Um, right. They can't copy the brand, right? So it's it's really brand IP that is the most important thing, and it it is speed to market. So um, you know we're able to get new products to market rather quickly. There are some things that have taken a year, two years to bring to market, um, but nonetheless, we were still able to get to market first because it wasn't on anybody's radars. So. We've got a good formula that's kind of a plug and play model now where, you know, we can uh, we can get product from concept to market, um, you know, in a matter of weeks, if not a couple months. Um, so that's that's an important thing as well as a speed to market. So so one more pre- one more question on the on the on the products themselves. You know, you talked earlier about how there isn't. It, and I, and I don't know this for for a fact or not because I don't follow the space as closely as as you guys do. But in terms of regulation and putting the formulations together, how does that all work together? Especially for folks that may not be as familiar with, you know, okay, psychoactive ingredients in a consumer product. What does this mean? So, Nick, can you give me kind of a little bit of a background and and how how to understand that? Sure. So we're not regulated currently, but it's important to know that. The self-regulations that the industry has put in place are above and beyond, and in some instances, medical marijuana itself, right? So you're talking full full testing of all components, uh, finished component testing, uh, full panel testing, chain of custody, full traceability, um, ISO-grade labs from a production standpoint for cleanliness. Um, I mean, we have a full-blown ERP system that tracks all of these things. Uh, childproof packaging. So batch coding, there's a lot of things that we've done as an industry and especially as a company from a self-regulatory standpoint that we feel is a good structure to put in place for future regulations. And we're all for that um, as long as, you know, they're really tailored around consumer protection. So, you know, as an industry, we've done a great job as a company. I think we've, we've even taken a step further, but um you know, and like I said previously, is we're consumer-ran business, right? So we actually use these products, and that's important to know. Um, I'm not going to speak on any other company. I don't, like, I don't throw rocks at anybody else, but we are truly consumer-ran business. So I'm not going to put something out in the market that I'm not going to put in my own body. And um, you know, that's a good foundation to build off of. Uh, if, if we're able to make products that help us personally, uh, I was always a firm believer that you know other people appreciate that, and you know that there's a trust that's built there. Very good. All right. So Jerry, coming back to you, you know, you guys public company now for a little bit, just about three years, maybe two, two and change, you know, and you've done a, a few, I think you've gone out there, you've done a couple of interviews, done a couple of things here and there, but 
even after they investors maybe do an interview with you or learn a little bit more about the company, what are some of the frequently asked questions that you still get or that investors still get confused when thinking about LFTD? Well, it's uh, it's a very interesting dialogue for our company uh, with uh, potential investors and, and Wall Street because uh, there has been such a mammoth bloodbath in the marijuana industry. Uh, you know, uh, I saw an article in Benzinga uh, a month and a half ago, which uh, some some analysts calculated that about $31 billion has been lost in the marijuana industry. And, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, just bloodbath. I mean, across the board, uh, big companies, middle-sized companies, small companies, uh, and it's continuing. I mean, uh, conditions are just, uh, you know, terrible in the marijuana space. Curaleaf just announced that they're exiting California and Colorado and Oregon. Uh, you know, the, the drumbeat of bad news uh, about, uh, you know, the illicit uh, – too much supply, uh, the illegal market, uh, you know, lack of access to uh, normal banking services, uh, Section 280E of the tax code. All these reasons have soured the investment community on, uh, quote unquote, the cannabis space. So the, the biggest difficulty that we've had is that, uh, you know, we're kind of, uh, you know, walking in and saying, well, we're take a look at us because we're actually growing and consistently profitable. Uh, and, you know, there's just so much negative sentiment about the space that that that's a, a, a big issue. Uh, it's almost like the entire uh, industry has been redlined. Uh, and uh, unless you're trying to, you know, raise capital for, just simply buying some real estate, it's 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 very difficult. The Wall Street is very smart people. They smell blood in the water. And if they're going to lend or invest at all, it's got to be on very draconian terms. I'm sure that you've seen the uh, sort of, uh, ex, you know, tremendously high interest rates, uh, warrant coverages. Uh, you know, it's a very difficult environment. From So even... Even if a company, uh, even if a potential investor is willing to look at our space, uh, look past all the carnage in our space to look at our company, you know, we still get asked a lot about the, you know, the regulatory uh, framework for what we're doing. I mean, it is what we're doing is legal. Uh, there's a bill that's called typically referred to as the farm bill. Uh, and the most recent version of the farm bill, you know, legalized uh, hemp derived uh, uh, products. Uh, but, uh, you know, many sophisticated investors, even if they look, uh, even if they look at the space and say, OK, I guess maybe you're the one little unicorn that's profitable. Uh, is your little unicorn going to get guillotined uh, if uh, some new federal law passes, new federal regulation passes? Uh, we don't think that that's going to happen. Uh, you know, this is a gigantic industry. 
Uh, so many millions of consumers around the country have voted that they need these products, want these products for all sorts of reasons that the FDA does not want you to talk about. So, you, so people can't, you know, uh, honestly explain all the reasons why consumers love these products. But, uh, uh, you know, that it's this is the difficulty uh that that we're facing uh yeah well. Jared, i was i literally you you hit on my exact next sentence i, I did an interview with um aaron edelheit from uh mindset value from i hope i'm saying his newsletter right um but we were talking about how, i think we put out that interview in september or something last year and it was just you know basically the bloodbath for anything touching cannabis psychedelics in the last you know last year. And, um, and you really, you actually hit on my next question is basically how you've been trying to communicate the story despite the overall negative sentiment. Um, and without any kind, I mean, there was some news that came out, we're recording this on a, a Tuesday, January 31st. I, I, there was some news that came out yesterday about California lifting, um, uh, some bans on interstate commerce, but th- that's mostly has to do with cannabis. I mean, you're dealing with legal product right like your your yeah. legal derived product so despite the fact like it, it just basically the whole point is that everything all the news and everything around cannabis psychedelics tends to drip down to you guys despite the fact that you're not directly dealing with flour or directly dealing with actual psychoactive mushrooms so i get it man that's it's a tough well, uh, it, i mean for us tough story to tell for for us, the pathway is actually it's clarifying for us over the last uh, couple months, which is that, uh, you know, we have now gotten to the point where there's been an, enough uh, profitable quarters uh, stacked on top of each other uh, that we've actually uh, started to see some nice upticking in our stock price and in our volume. But the pathway for us has got to be to, you know, get onto NASDAQ. Uh, because, uh, frankly, even as interest has, uh, risen significantly over the last few months in our stock, we're still sitting on the over the counter, uh, OTC QB and, you know, many, many, uh, funds and so forth just aren't going to touch stocks that are on the OTC. I'm not throwing a rocket, uh, us or other fine companies on the OTC, but many of these funds, uh, you know, they they just want to buy stocks that are listed on a major exchange. So the good news for us, uh, very significant for us, was that uh, within the last six months, uh, NASDAQ accepted uh, another uh, publicly traded company on uh, their exchange that involves uh, selling Delta 8 products. That, that to us was a very significant litmus test. Uh, and, uh, you know, recently within the last month, our stock bid, the bid on our price, uh, stock has gone over $4. Uh, so now for us, it's just a question of getting enough shareholders to meet the uh, shareholder listing requirements. But as soon as we're able to uh, meet the listing requirements in terms of additional shareholders, uh, I am very confident that our board will, uh, ask us to uh, apply for the listing on NASDAQ. And I think that if, when, if and when we are uh, able to get on the NASDAQ, if we get enough shareholders, or when we get enough shareholders, I think that that alone is going to cause a very dramatic uh, increase in uh, investor interest in our stock, volume in our stock, 
Uh, I mean, I can't guarantee that, but that's what we expect and our financial friends in the financial community are very strongly believing. The tough, the tough part probably, and you know this, but it sounds like you were probably strategic when you were originally constructing the public company in, in terms of um, shares outstanding and whatnot. I mean, there's not a lot in the float, right? So it's also it's sometimes a little difficult for to to get that shareholder count up as well. I'm sure. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's a you know good news bad news situation when right. you look at uh, you know, when you look at the public companies in the cannabis space. I mean, the the you know, oh, yes. tremendous number of them have 150 million, 250 million, 350 mm-hmm. million shares outstanding. We only have 14 million shares outstanding. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, we have a very, very small number of shares outstanding. We're very nicely profitable uh, and not on some sort of adjusted EBITDA basis on actual gap EPS. Uh, so, uh, but the you know, the good news is a uh, small number of shares outstanding, very nice earnings per share that's been growing uh, year over year dramatically. Uh, but the bad news is that as a result, we only have a few hundred shareholders. And uh, so we do need a few more to qualify for uh, allow us to apply to NASDAQ. But uh, we, we're we hoping and, uh, uh, you know, there's there's been uh, some developments, not just the uh, growth in the company, but Nick, uh, do you mind discussing or, or dis, you know, discussing this Cali Suites uh, collaboration? Because I think that some of the things that uh, Lifted has done, Nick has done, is really kind of setting the stage for more shareholders to come into our company. Nick, sure. f- fire away, man. Let's go. Jerry's taking over my job. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll, I'll shut up. I'm gonna hang out back here. <laughs> Yeah, so we just locked on a deal with a company called Cali Suites. Uh, the CEO is a woman named Flo Mursky, who's just a phenomenal entrepreneur. Um, she's the most connected person I've ever met in my life when it comes to A-list celebrities, rappers, influencers. Um, so, you know, our big goal with that is not only to bring awesome products to market with her, but really get mainstream exposure. You know, we've functioned as a counterculture uh, industry for a long time with massive consumers behind it, but this really lack of mainstream awareness, right? I mean, you look at how long it took just for vapor products to really get mainstream. Um, hemp derived products, as much as you know, we know about it and the saturation of it, um, there's still so many people that have no idea about these type of products. And and same with mushrooms and and functional mushrooms and these blends that are coming to market. So, you know, this deal is exciting from a two, it's a twofer, right? It's really innovative, cool new products, but um, a type of marketing that you almost can't pay for that, you know, she's bringing to the table. And I just can't speak high enough of flow and what her skill set and abilities are. And, you know, that's a great first quarter launch for us. Um, and we think, I mean, I, I'm I'm so confident that that push is going to be huge uh, to get, you know, just more eyeballs on this industry of people that are unaware of these products. So, you know, things are going well, right? It's been, you know, we've been talking about the company's profitable, all this stuff, you know, the, the deal with Cali Suites. But, you know, I want to, let's play a little devil's advocate, you know, and Jerry did mention about how, like, 
hey, this farm bill is kind of hanging out there. That could potentially be a downside risk. You know, in your opinion, what what else would you say are some of the company's downside risks that you'd want either your current shareholders or potential shareholders to really be aware of when when thinking about LFTD? Nick, you want to you want to take it away, or Jerry? You- well, like I said, I feel the regulatory risk it would be number one. Number two would be the fact that we're not yet on an exchange. Uh, I think getting on NASDAQ would significantly help that. Uh, you know, I think that the, uh, you know, I think from my standpoint, uh, one of the uh, challenges, I, I, I'm not going to say it's a problem, but I, if I, if you're asking me, what would I say are challenges facing our company? It's that uh, it's, it's very difficult, like I said, to find uh, additional uh, players to join us because we'd like to grow not just organically, but we'd like to also grow through accretive, you know, synergistic acquisitions. And by synergy, I don't mean, uh, acquiring companies and then firing half of their workforce. Okay. Uh, our, our goal is not uh, in my career is I've done a lot of acquisitions in the various public companies that I've run. And it, I've never done an acquisition with the intent that the acquisition would justify itself by firing people. Okay. We, we only try to focus on companies that are really well run, that are profitable and that are growing and that, uh, you hope that by bringing them into the business with us, that they will grow even faster and that you have a one plus one equals way more than two. So I'd say for myself, uh, you know, the biggest challenge outside regulations and getting on an exchange is identifying, uh, you know, good candidates that we feel have uh, characteristics, leadership, DNA, profitability that can even remotely come close to what Nick and Lifted are doing. I'm not trying to sound uh, arrogant or anything, but Lifted has set a very, very high standard for us. And we're very conservative people when it comes to, uh, uh, you know, when it comes to uh, due diligence and acquisitions. But that's the biggest challenge uh, outside Lifted's business other than regulation and getting on an exchange, in my view. Absolutely. Well, you, I mean, you got to be disciplined when it comes to, to capital allocation in that sense, right? Especially in this space when, you know, there's been so many players that have tried, you know, we're about rounding the bend here. So I, uh, my final question to close this out here and uh, Nick, I'm come to you on this one, you know, in your opinion, where do you see the company in three to five years? And what would you say are the inflection points to get you there? I think we have a foundation to be the the biggest player in the space, uh, especially from a profitability standpoint. I think, um, I think our character is a driving force and a gravity pull that's bringing a lot of great deals together. I think that we're a great bridge for the marijuana industry uh, because of how we operate. So I think that you're going to see this coming together of, of good people and good players that as entrepreneurs all have their own talents. Um, the inflection point for that is, is just sticking to the plan. You know, great things take time and consistency and hard work. It, you know, it's, it's, it's not rocket science, but it takes those days in and days out of really kind of pushing forward the market. 
we don't focus on the things we can't control, um, but we know that there's so much more that's still to come from this industry. So, you know, we're, we're taking our time to do the right deals. And to Jerry's point, you know, we're not going to just do a deal to do a deal uh, to have a new announcement, right? We're, we have a lot of great things going on in the background. And we believe if we just continue to come um, with a sound moral foundation that these deals are going to get done. Uh, we're going to be in a position where the capital markets trust us um, as a as a good vehicle, and you know the best for us is still yet to come. So we've 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 done amazing things coming out of the pandemic. Um, we've stuck together as a team. We didn't blow up, and you know that same DNA is I think what's going to push us forward. And we've always looked at this as a marathon comprised of sprints, right? So. We're looking at this as a long-term play, um, not just a short-term game. So, I think uh, I think our our mentality is just different, and uh, who we are as people, I think, is is really the driving force to our success. So, we just keep the blinders on and stick to the plan. Uh, whatever happens, you know, we we've always been in a position to pivot pivot properly, and you know, this is a industry where you're betting on the jockeys, right? So. Um, irregardless of all the noise and all the crazy things that are going on, you know, our goal is to continue to prove that that we're good jockeys, we're good stewards of of money. We take this very seriously, and irregardless of what happens, we're the guys to figure it out. Nice, that's a great place to end it, Jerry. Nick, thank you so much for joining me today. Where can our audience go and find more information on LFTD Partners? Well, for the parent company, the public company, if you could go to lftdpartners.com. And for information about Lifted and all of its amazing products, it would be liftedmade.com. Very good. Jerry, Nick, again, thank you very much for joining me today. Good luck. Stay safe. And I look forward to our next update. Thanks, thank Bobby. You. Thank you, Bob. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not provided as financial, legal, or any other advice. The information is not investment advice or an offer to buy or sell any securities or make any investment. The views expressed by guest speakers are their own and any reference to third-party product services or information does not constitute an endorsement thereof by SNN or its affiliates. SNN expressly disclaims all liability for any individual's use of the information presented in this podcast.